0: How good was our, our combined creative efforts from members in our church? There's some good artists in there, and there's some good some, some good tech dudes in there. Be- there is some beautiful feet in there. That's right, mine included. Um, they're, no, they're not beautiful. It's terrible. Um, so coming to get, t- coming this morning, like this is yeah, first session of our, of our new series, as you all know. Um, coming together this morning, I just sort of got here a bit early. Had to take some time to sit here and just steady myself and pray and get before the Lord and make sure my own mind's right and, and all those kind of things. And um, I was passing, uh, you know, Macker's across from Cliffo, Cliffo Gardens. there. I was passing, and you know, I had a couple of big trucks in there, whether they're offloading, you know, more delicious Big Macs or whatever they were doing. Um, but they had like all advertising along the side, like advertising some new range they must be coming up with. And I was thinking, man, this world is like chockers with advertising, hey? Chockers. Did you know that in the Western culture, each person sees about 5,000 pieces of advertising a day? It's a fair bit, hey? So you think of any sort of channel that your, your, your eyes see or your ears hear, there's just companies lining up to throw their cash into advertising that makes you see or hear, their, hear about their product. So that you can buy it or hire their service or whatever. So these companies that are advertising this way, a lot of us will probably never, ever see the head office of the company. A lot of us will never even get to meet the CEO or even know who he or she is, um, never meet them, never shake their hand, never even see them, maybe in a crowd. But we know these companies are there. Hey. It's like the you think of the McDonald's, the big M, the arches, like that's so iconic, the, the golden arches as we call it, and um, we when immediately when we see that we get hungry, and we start thinking about delicious Big Macs and that sauce and you know, chips and nuggets if you're that kind of person. So we see the logo, and we get a feel for what the company does. Likewise, we go into their restaurants, we see all their little workers with their little hats, their little visors on, all their uniforms, and they're all displaying like a culture of the company. And they're imitating behaviours set by that company. As it is, the advertising that I saw this morning, that points towards the company. Wanting, the comp- company's wanting to tell us what it does. It wants to show us all the cool stuff that we can buy from them, and we can drop our dollars on them. And likewise, when we go through that drive-through and we get our Big Macs and our fries and stuff, we have the product in our hands. And we get to see it and smell it and taste it and we know it's real. So we know the company's real. There is this big um, machine behind it all, making these things. So these things, right, our logo, the workers, the advertising, the product, they um, they all point and they all make up this company corporate image. So in our minds, we see all these little bits of it and then we can build up, understand what the big company overall, what it's about. In a way, they're like little images of the company. The little logo, the workers, advertising, the product. They all bear out what the company is. But likewise, I'm sitting up here and I'm getting advertised too. Not by like clothing logos on your clothes, but I'm looking at a whole bunch of little images. I'm looking at you. You're all images of something. You're all images of God. You're not just some random sort of chance um, creation that happened out of um, chemical reactions influenced by physical forces or anything like that. That's not. That's not you. You're here. You're made for a purpose, and out of that purpose, there flows like a reason that you're here and you're listening and you're, you're partaking in this. So. Yeah, as we've said, um, today's our first um, foray into our identity series. Um, this is going to' like a little mini kind of series It's going to take us through into like around Christmas time. Um, it's our step into understanding. a few of us leaders, we sort of came to this understanding that we need to understand better who we are in light of being in Jesus, being found in Jesus. We need to understand this better. So that's what this whole series is about. So As with all journeys, we can only start at the beginning. So, um, we're going to start there this morning. Um, Today, this sermon really is probably going to be a whole lot of um, colouring into the background, a whole lot of paving, setting up the stage sort of for the other um, sessions that will come later that we can sort of pick up and run with, with having filled in a whole lot of our background knowledge. So, just quickly before we get going. have a little bit of a Latin lesson. Let's pull on our fancy pants and get introduced to our Latin phrase. Now, this, this Latin phrase, Raji's mentioned it a couple of times, Imago day. Everyone say that. Yeah. yeah? We're all comfortable with that. This is a phrase that theologians down through centuries have used to describe a characteristic that is uh, unique to humans and in, in it, it understands and it shows, talks of the Relationship between God and humanity that He made in His image. OK? So us being Australians, who we all have, I should say, us being Australians, all right? We have vocabularies that are already full of chopped-down words, words missing syllables, slang. I thought we'd be really at home with a small phrase, really awesome little phrase that means so much. So a Margot Day it is just meaning image of God. Okay? So let's begin in the beginning. And we understand, you know, where the Bible starts. God's Word starts out in Genesis with His creation account of all nature and the universe. Everything that we know, God has created all this. And the first few days we see God, is weaving order into just a chaotic place. Like He separates light from darkness. He separates surface water from the atmosphere, which is kind of going in reverse today. Um, he separates land from the sea. and But in doing so, he, he's separating these things and making these two like opposite sort of things unique. But when they operate together, we get all these great things, like light can shine into and expose things in the darkness. We can, we have cool weather systems like, like now that we get out of, you know, big bodies of seawater uh, moving over land and, you know, just ask a pilot who he knows about meteorology, he'll tell you. That's Adrian I'm talking about. Um, or anyone who you know, has a good understanding of weather, how these things sort of play out when they're operating together, these separate things, they work really well. And so then once God has ordered the whole place and set it up and there's just, uh, you know, it's, it's just great, he then... Uh, he forges into the ground um, just the amazing potential for life to spring out of it. So out, out of the ground comes trees and birds and fish and land animals and everything like that until the world is teeming with animals, teeming, swarming with animals. And then, and then, now let's read Genesis 1:26. God said... Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So here's God speaking amongst himself and he says, I'm going to make a creature, now this world is full of, of other creatures, I'm going to make a special creature and I'm going to sew my image into it and it's going to be the overseer, it's going to be the crowning jewel on and throughout within my creative order, Okay. Now, two things just to get from this passage. Um, one, human life is above and away more important and more valuable than the rest of the creative order. And secondly, men and women, male and female, are both, both, both possess equally the... Amago um, day. Yeah, first use of the word. Yeah. Pat yourselves on the back. So let's expand on this first point a little bit okay that humanity is above and away so much more valuable than anything else on this planet human life so to understand the value that we have being images of god we've got to understand the the value the the reason that value comes about is because we carry god's image because god is the overall source of all wealth like god created everything Anything that you think you've owned, God's already created it. God's the overall source of all that wealth, and He is, in terms of existence, He's the epitome of the existence. We only have existence because God existed first, okay? Like, God's the epitome of that. So us, carrying His image into creation, gives us that higher status, that elevated worth in all creation. So we are here... To. What did God say we were here to do? Look over and after His creation. We're to subdue it in all good stewardship warranted that this place that we are stewards of is God's very good creation. Okay, we're not to trash it and just to be stupid about it, but we're to look after it and use it wisely, use it well for our own good and flourishing. Yeah? Now, to think back to our McDonald's image this morning, like about this company, okay? I know you're all thinking of yum food now, or unhealthy food, whichever side of that spectrum you sit on. Um, imagine a vandal comes into a town, and there's all these McDonald's adverts everywhere, and big signs, and whatever, and he is going around the whole town, trashing all of the images. So he's going, and he's, he's spray painting over those golden arches, he's putting rude signs, rude, rude gestures, rude words, whatever, he's putting them, spray painting, he's got his little can of spray paint, it's probably black, because he's evil, um, he's spray painting <laughs> over all these things with terrible stuff, he's defacing those images not only that then he goes into one of these restaurants right and he goes up to the counter and he just rips the hat off the person serving him and punches this person in the face and then he runs around kicking them all ripping their clothes trashing the whole restaurant grabs a whole lot of the food takes it out and stomps on it in the car park There's grease running into the gutter its he trashes the place okay from what what attitude do we surmise that this dude has towards the company from his actions? He doesn't like it. He hates it. He hates it. So he he, he wants to disrespect um, the company out of an inner hatred for whatever reason. So whether that reason is he just saw a documentary about how this company didn't exist or how it was making people fat, even though they couldn't use their self-control, for whatever reason. He hates the company for that. Maybe he read their mission statement, he hates that. Maybe he's just a jilted lover of one of the workers there. Maybe he just wasn't hugged enough as a kid. For whatever reason, he hates this company and he is dishonouring and he's disrespecting the company, the overall company, by abusing the company's images. So we're sort of connecting the dots here. So we see in our world today, people showing their their dishonour and their disrespect for God by abusing their fellow humans. Um, I didn't clear this with Daniel, so I hope this is okay, mate. Um, Yesterday, we celebrated Naomi's first birthday, and Daniel and Sarah dedicated her to the Lord in front of many of us. It was a great day. It, the rain held off for us. It was, just, it was a fantastic time. Now, Naomi, having received more obviously than many of us, or most of us, she has a disorder in her genetic makeup that means that she has Down Syndrome for this life. And many in this world, many people in this world, including that that high priest of atheism, Richard Dawkins, we're all familiar with him? Some of us are. Many people would take his advice and would have his belief in this world and they would say that she's never going to be, she's never going to bring much worth into this world. And that Daniel and Sarah should have just had her killed and removed and just tried again. Now, I hope I don't need to tell you burn, but that view is evil and wrong because that view dishonours God because of His image woven into that little girl. All right, there, is, is the, there is the same Imago day in that beautiful little girl as there is in you, as there is in Richard Dawkins, as there, as there is in the seven other billion-ish sort of people-ish on the planet. All right, the Imago day is in all babies of unwanted or unexpected pregnancies. The, it's in all children. It's in, it's in the disabled people. It is woven into the desperately poor people that populate um, the worst slums and refugee camps the world over. It's same. That same image is woven into old frail people that are so dependent on other people to keep them alive. That image is in people who would rail against God and against anything, anything to do with Him, including abusing and harming His people. This imago Day that is woven into a human life makes it more important, uh, more precious, infinitely more precious than all of the material wealth in this world, more than uniquely endangered creatures in this world, more than planetary environmental conditions in this world. So much more important. Okay, human life is of utmost importance on this earth. And understanding, you know, like this image of understanding this Imago Day was one of the grounds on which um, you know, a lot of the civil rights and human rights movements were grounded and started, it's What ca- slavery in the West was c- campaigned against um, and, and understanding that denying this um, is the real root cause where a whole lot of the world's problems stem from. So when we deny someone who they inherently are, the inherent worth in them, we end up in some terrible places, like we end up in child exploitation, where, where kids are used in sweatshops to make cheap clothes, cheap electronics, whatever. All the way, full spectrum, up to child slavery, child sex trafficking, well let's just call it what it, what it is, is just stealing harmless little kids for sex for the highest bidder. It's disgusting. And then denying the image of God in people is responsible for that that smear of racism that many of us probably still have taints of in our minds, all the way up to terrible things like ethnic cleansing and genocide where whole villages of men, women and children are just all wiped out because they look differently or they're culturally different or whatever. And denying the image of God in people uh, drives... um, men, women, mostly, and some men, actors into, you know, removing their clothes to be leered at and lusted after by other people. Just denied who they are, stripped of their inherent worth and just used as a commodity by other humans. This is the places that we get to when we deny this Amargo Day in humanity. Now, that second note that I mentioned from our first passage, um, the second point of in verse uh, 27, I think it is, that both men and women possess this imago day equally. All right? They're created with some anatomical and physiological differences. That's obvious. All right? But both genders share this worth because they're both made in the image of their creator God. So let's jump into chapter 2 of Genesis now. And we're just going to blow into a bit of an expanded. Uh, account of chapter 1's creation flyover, and we're just going to open this point up a little bit. So, uh, Genesis four, uh, chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the earth. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So God makes a man-sized dirt pile live. Whoa. So just quickly on this, I'm um, just before we, we, we go on. I just want to m- make a quick note here. Okay, despite all the best, um, uh, the best achievements or the best you know intentions or whatever, the scientific community to t- try and prove abiogenesis, which is just a big word that life can come from non-life, you know that something living can come from something unliving. Despite their best efforts to prove that in perfect lab conditions, it's never been achieved. Or observed, ever. And there's only a pile of theories as to how it came about or how it actually happened. And and without God's input, it never will, because God only starts and sustains life. Let's keep reading, okay? We'll jump down to uh, verse eighteen. Then the then the Lord God said, "It's not good." So, Adam's naming the however many kinds of animals were brought to him. This is a big day. This is probably, probably the biggest day of creation. <laughs> Who knows? Like, this is a massive day. Anyway, God brings these animals to Adam, and Adam's naming them. And Adam couldn't find a helper. Now, some of you are probably going, but what about dogs? Dogs are awesome. And dogs are awesome. Like, my wife's got the mad pressure on me right now to get another dog. Some of ours don't help. Um, <laughs> but yeah, dogs are great. Dogs are rad. But Adam didn't get to these two wolf dog things or whatever they were that came before him and go, it's bingo. It's a dog. Because <laughs> then it would have just been called a bingo. That was a stupid thing to say. B I N G O and Bingo what was his name. Oh no, it wasn't that. Otherwise, it would have been called a Bingo and not a dog. Actually, maybe that's why it's called a dingo. Yeah, maybe. Man, I'm getting, I'm getting well off track here. This is terrible. I'm, I, I really apologise. Um, steady, Benji. Okay, dog. Yeah. Adam didn't find a helper in the dog because the dog is just a dog, right? It's just It's just a creature it's not uh, like yes they've been man's companions and they've helped him herd and hunt for eons but it's just in the end it's just a dog see a dog doesn't a dog doesn't see creation and, and want to seek out the Creator and praise his name forever a dog has no real desire to make or admire art or music or anything I suppose he can howl but you know that's just him saying hello see and dogs don't they don't have like a free will with which to choose to make different decisions either a dog just has bare instincts that are just hardwired into it that will only cause it to be your cuddle buddy on the couch that little furry rat of a dog dog I'm not looking at my in-laws at all now that little dog, it, it, these instincts will only cause that dog to be your cuddle buddy on the couch because it likes food treats. More than the evil cat who's sitting on the other couch, who, who only wants you out of the way so that it can snack on the goldfish. All right, And the goldfish, it doesn't even know who it is, or where it is, or what it is, or you know, even where he left his car keys it's a goldfish these are these are just animals okay they're animals and no matter how complex or high functioning they are none of them were suitable to be adam's helper because he has the image of god he was in the image of god the amargo day was woven into and through him he was created to be above and stewards of these animals So where does that leave Adam? He's like, oh man, what is going on here? I'm by myself and there's these pairs of animals coming through. Like, I wonder if it dawned on him. Because Let's keep reading. (laughs) I'm forever alone. Genesis 2 (laughs) verse 21. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept he took one of his ribs and closed its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into... A woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Man, so it dawns on Adam. He sees what the Lord has made from him and brought to him. That This is his partner, this is his helper, this is the other half to the pair that he sort of didn't really have a concept of what the pair thing meant, he sort of understood it from the animals, whatever. But this was his, this was his other half. He recognises that she is from him, same bone, same flesh, bearing the same image of God, man, but she is wonderfully different in all the right ways. She's a helper because he couldn't do what he was told to do by himself, i.e., inherit the whole, you know, like inhabit the whole earth. He wasn't some sort of fungal spore or or like cell where he can just like you know, just pop out another one and just replicate himself. <laughs> That's not the way humans were made. We have a man and we have a woman. They're created equal, and they're possessing the same image of their creator, yet they are at different but they go so well together. They're made to complement each other, and not compete. They're made to respect and understand and see that amargo day in each other. They're made to fill in the other's weaknesses where the other has strengths. that's how this complement. That's how they complement. Come together. They complement. They don't compete. So here we see everything great, all right, creation's all complete, everything's set up, everything's in order, everyone's got a pair, beautiful, happy days, yeah? For a little bit. But judging by the fact that we're only in chapter 2 of like an 1100 chapter book, or how many chapters in the Bible, I'd say there's a bit more of the story to come, hey? Mm. So here it comes, okay? Here comes the inciting incident, not the exciting incident. This is far from exciting. This is the inciting incident. It brings about um, conflict in a storyline, and this is where um, where the story sort of turns around, and it makes more sense to our predicament in time. So. The evil one, Satan, who was brought, brought down by his rebellion and, and jealousy of God, he spreads a sick shadow into man. And, and it all comes wrapped up in a question. Alright? And here's the question. Has God really said? Has God really said? So, how powerful are questions... It's okay, safe place. That's a rhetorical question. You don't need to answer it. <laughs> Should let some of you give it a go, though. Does anyone want to say how powerful are questions? <laughs> very. Yeah. They are, but they're very important because I got you thinking about how powerful questions are by asking you how powerful questions are. <laughs> it's true, hey. Yeah. See, questions. Some of you are a little bit sleepy. I can see on some of your faces. You sort of just you kick back into just. I'm just going to take this information in, I'm filtering out sort of the important bits and the, the, major- the vast majority of what I'm saying, she's just washing over you and, and you're not taking much of it in your... The, the cogs in your mind are just sort of free spinning, okay? Ask a question though, ooh, you sit up, stop dribbling, you pay attention <laughs> and you, you focus and your mind is driving to try and understand you're trying to work out something for yourself, aren't you? You're trying to work out something. Your mind then engages, those cogs, they're not free spinning anymore, it's like, oh, got to do some work now. So questions. But here's the thing, right? In our mind, this is so a question works this way. When you're asked a question, your mind goes into frantic open book exam mode, okay? And what I mean by that is those, a fair few of us have probably been to uni or gone, had open book exams in school and whatever. Open book exams are great. Like you think they're going to be super easy, except they make them three million times harder than what a normal closed book exam is. They're terrible. Um, But in an open book exam, you read a question, you're like, oh, yeah. Okay, I know the page of the, see I'm a visual kind of guy and I visualise on a page where that fact is. Um, and so I, I'm like, oh, I know, I've seen it somewhere. It's on, it's on that top right hand section of books. So I'm flicking through all my books and all my notes, and that's not in that one. And there's papers flying everywhere, and it's just getting a bit crazy in the exam room. And, but you, you need to find that fact that you can reference your mind off to answer your question. That's how your mind works. So your mind's out there, it's going into the back of its old resources, it's picking up facts that it knows, and it's collecting the ones that are relevant to it, and it's bringing them all together, and it's using your mind's logic to arrive at an answer. But here's the problem. Your answer is only as good as the facts that go into making that answer. Yeah? Yeah? So the old rule of garbage in equals garlic out. I mean, no, sorry. Garbage, garlic is not garbage. Garlic is delicious. Garbage in equals garbage out, okay? So if we're taking rubbish in, then we're going to get a stupid answer, okay? And this is where the downfall of Adam and Eve comes about and all mankind brought in with it. See, Satan in his conversation with Eve, he introduces these part-truths, part-truths and lies. And they muddy up this water of this clear truth that Adam and Eve had known only from listening to God. And the only law that they had at that time was what? Don't eat that tree. No, you're not a brachiosaurus. Don't eat the tree. Eat the fruit. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. Okay, don't eat the fruit of that tree. Fruit. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. That was all they were told. Yet then Satan has introduced these thoughts into their minds like, hey man, that tree... The fruit of that tree, it looks delicious. You won't really die if you eat it. You'll be like God. You'll know good and you'll know evil. Hmm. So then Adam and Eve's minds, are questioning along these crooked lines of Satan's untruths and they come to a terribly dark answer and they act on this answer and they go against God's design, they disobey God, and they sever that intimate connection that God had with mankind, or that mankind had with God, I should say. So this is the history of our first parents, and the Bible says in Adam we have all sinned. And so from our first parents' sin, it has flowed down through all of humanity, every single one of us has this sin nature in us and we've been trying to answer these big important questions ever since with faulty logic and faulty and untruths in us, twisted lies, we've been grounding our thinking on untruth, subjective truth. You know, we, and when I say we, I mean large-scale humanity, we, we as a human race, we have... We have wandered a long way away from God, and a long way away from God's truth. So this is probably where we see that first sort of flickering flame of our identity series coming in, like why is all this background important? See, we ground our identity and our thinking and we ask these big questions of who we are and it's all grounded on rubbish. Rubbish comes in, rubbish comes out. We have exchanged God's truth for lies. The Bible tells us that, all right? And we've branched away from God's design so that our core identity has fractured and it has split away from how God um, said we were. So deep within us, if we're honest with ourselves, deep within us, we want to live a right way. We want to understand this rightly, but from our own desires and from our own answers, questioning, truths, whatever, we can only go the wrong way. We can only go wrong ways. We are lost and we're in a helpless situation. Such a helpless situation. So we are in culture today. We're at a point where... A man can ask himself, what's it mean to be a man? It's what we all do, blokes, isn't it? Every, every once in a while, what's it been to be a man? Especially when you are going through those formative teenage years. What's it mean to be a man? And with faulty, broken logic and part truths that he's been told from culture, um, you know, so our society, his friends, faulty parents, whatever, he's gonna, his mind's logic is going to reference against all these truths that he has, and he's going to come up with the idea that his masculinity depends on him playing a contact sport having a ripped body okay um, having having regular sex with one or, or more women drinking minimum a six pack of beer in one sitting it's got to be low carb though you're not you're gonna lose that six pack and what else what else what else does a man think of we oh yeah we we have to we have to be able to shave off a beard and grow it again in three days and we're not allowed to cry in movies that's the image that we hold up as masculinity for some stupid reason don't know where any of it comes from but that's what our broken logic tells us let's apply it to the ladies okay I asked my wife for some of these, so if I'm a little bit off, it's because I changed the answers. In, we're in the society today where a woman can ask herself, you know, what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a woman? All right, and she's going to, with, with a mind of societal pressures that are telling her she needs to measure up and be on equal standing with men. And she's, got, she's carrying hurts in her heart from past relationships, from a lot of those douchebaggy guys from the previous thing we were talking about. Um, and she's got these accepted cultural norms that are playing pressure on her, she's going to come up with the idea that her femininity relies on her having uh, an, an elite circle of friends who are jealous of her outfits. And she herself has to have a rocking bikini bod. okay? And she needs to be sexually promiscuous in certain ways, but a little bit undercover so that people don't think of her as one of those girls. She has to have her own... Worthy career, all right, and then she's got to go home to her immaculate well-decorated house And she's got to have traveled to the the glamorous cities of the world like London and Paris and, and New York and Toowoomba And those kind of places and she she needs to have done that she needs to have experienced the culture from Southeast Asia She needs to have done this and when she opens her phone and her Instagram later on She needs a minimum of 12 new likes on that latest picture You know, oh good morning, morning coffee, Mm, perfect hair, perfect makeup, you know, hashtag no makeup, hashtag sorry not sorry, you know, we know, we're laughing. Hashtag woke up like this, not grumpy at all. And sadly though, we, we get to this situation where people, men, women, anatomical men or women, images of God, can ask themselves who am I and not know. Am I in the woman or man pile? Which one do I take from here? Which one do I take from there? I don't measure up to that one. I'm sort of maybe a few from there and a few from that column. Confusion. We've got people today where like, you could ask themselves, who, you are, who are you? And that this, these people out of the, in their inner heart, if they're truly honest with themselves, just I'm just an average person. I just work my job. I just want to experience new things and get extract as much meaning out of life as just getting experiences. And some people, you could ask some people, you know, who are you? And they just don't know. They could say, I'm addicted to things. I've got bad habits in my life going on. I've tried to ask for forgiveness, but I'm just not feeling it. And then you have some people who are you? And they're just like, man, I'm full of questions. I've got no idea. Is God even real? we've all got this broken questioning going on. So with our first parents, when they left the garden and they uh, were out of that direct communion with God, we along with them, we have left, we've turned our back on God's perfect order for um, ourselves, for our genders and our sexuality and the style for our lives and we are all left wandering and wandering outside in the wilderness, outside of the garden, outside of God's presence. We're wandering outside. We're trying all sorts of dead ends. We're like blindfolds. We're all bumping around into each other's, fumbling in the darkness, big question bubbles over our heads, vague, disconnected looks on our faces. Just We're just wandering in a wilderness with questions. Has God really said has God really said how a woman is to live? Has God really said how a man is to live? Has God really said how a family is to function? Has God really said that we're all broken or is there a bit of good in us still? And maybe we're just right on our own. Has God really said that? Has God really said anything? Has God even said if he's real or not? Man, we are all wandering and wondering and pondering. These questions, has God really said? So what hope is there for us? What hope is there for us? Jesus. God become man. God the creator became man the creation. Colossians tells us that Jesus is the ultimate image of the invisible God. So he is man and he is God. He is the perfect, ultimate epitome of the imago day. In Jesus, we see the fulfillment of this image of God because he is God in human body. In Jesus, all see. All things were created by him and through him and for him. And Jesus came to set us free from Satan's kingdom of darkness and death and lies and deceit. And he came to bring us into his kingdom of life and truth and light so if we compare the first Adam, okay? First Adam, our great, 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 granddaddy Adam and Grandma Eve. We compare them to, them living in the garden, we compare them to Jesus, who the Bible refers to as the second Adam. We see this great picture of hope for us and all humanity building up here when we compare these two guys. So, I'm just going to... Quickly jump into Mark. You don't need to. This is just a Jesus baptism. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. So Jesus kicked off his earthly ministry on earth by being baptized by John. John, God the Father has spoken, that's my son. This is my son. The Holy Spirit has come down. Remember the dove coming out of the cloud? The Holy Spirit has come down onto Jesus and then directs him straight out into the wilderness immediately. Just to keep in terms with Mark. Immediately out into the wilderness. He's going to be out there for 40 days without food. He's in a hostile wilderness and there's wild animals. And he's out there with the express purpose to be tempted. He's going to be tempted. How different is our champion saviour from our earthly forefather? Hey, see, first Adam, like, what's he got? Ideal surrounds... Beautiful garden, direct presence of God, in, all wrapped up in a nutshell. He's got paradise there. He's got, um, he can eat any fruit, any seed from whatever trees are in there, except that one, that one. Um, he's got a beautiful, freshly made wife, Eve, by his side that he can talk with, he can enjoy the company of, um, bounce a few ideas off, vice versa, you know. Adam's enjoying this pristine, pristine environment. And then when, he, he, he's completely and utterly satisfied. And then when a talking snake pops out of a tree and tempts him and Eve once, they fail with full stomachs. And we see Jesus, man, he, the second Adam, he comes to earth as a baby. He, brokes, he, 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 um, he grows up in this broken world, this confused world. And he begins his ministry and he walks straight into the wilderness. He sets his face to the wilderness. The Holy Spirit is guiding him. He's like, that desert, I'm going there. That's the, that metaphorical place where we are all, all of us. We're all out there, outside the garden, wandering around, confused, question marks above our head. We've got no idea, questioning God. And Jesus walks straight there. He comes directly to us sets his face forward, he angles there and he's confronting our problems head on. He's coming for the temptation, he's coming for the evil. And so he is hungry. Just think about how this sits with Jesus and Adam, right? Jesus here is hungry, he's sweaty, he's dirty, he's no doubt uncomfortable, but he is headed right at this evil temptation. And when the temptation comes to him, he answers with truth. Truth. all right. He, he confronts Satan's temptations with his own word, with God's own truth from his God's word. Okay, Jesus is that word. Jesus is the word of God in, in human form. Jesus comes where we are. He is tempted as we are. And when he is... Oh man, he's tempted as we are and then he... He overcomes where we can't. This is why we need to pull back our identity and place it completely into Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Lord and complete image of God. We need to stop questioning who we are and start accepting who God says we are. So you've got, you, you, as individuals, you've got incredible worth to God. God knew you, God created you well, He knew of you well before your mum or your dad even knew you were coming along. Jesus, He came to this earth to become one of us, to walk with us, to point us toward God, and then He died to secure that way back to God that He pointed to permanently set in stone. So we need to stop wondering and wandering and just listen to God's answers. See, in this crazy world of just noisy opinions and shifting sand and hurt feelings and just dead ends, okay, we just need to shut up and listen to what God says we are. We just need to shut up and listen to who God says we are. In His truth, we have the right answers to the questions. In Him, we are free from all our just aimless wandering and wandering. So in this series that we're we're going into in the next five to six weeks, it's it's our prayer that the... um, the Holy Spirit would lead you into understanding who you truly and really are in Jesus. So that when you are, when you ask yourself in your moments of deep despair and wondering, you ask yourself, who am I? You can say, I am a new creation. All right? And you can understand everything that flows out of that. So... I just want you all to come along for the ride. Let's let's enjoy this journey together. Um, as we just, what do we want to do in this series? We want to let go of these everyday lies that are told us from the world and from Satan and wherever. We want to let go of those lies. We want to completely ditch them, and we want to grab hold and start understanding deeply God's truth, who He says we are through His Son Jesus, who is the ultimate image of God. So let's listen now to some of these topics that we're going to um, cover in the next couple of weeks, the next few weeks. Um, These are spoken to us by um, members in our church. These are affirmationary statements, who God says we are. So let's let's have a listen and um, be blessed. I am a child of God. I am wise and restored. I am a new creation in Christ. God I am his masterpiece Created for good works I am loved by God I am made complete through grace And mercy through Jesus Two